Welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. Thank you for tuning in online as we listen to God's word this morning. A um, couple housekeeping um, announcements uh, before we get started. Uh, number one, uh, many of you have filled out your pledge card for 2021, and I want to say thank you for uh, turning that in. If you have not yet filled out your pledge card, uh, very simply, please fill that out. Put it in the envelope. Put it in the mail. Obviously, put a stamp on that. Uh, the other thing you can do is uh, simply go online and send uh, an email to giving at myfaithlcmc.org, giving at myfaithlcmc.org, and just let us know what your plans are uh, for your pledge uh, for giving for 2021 uh, to support the ministries of Faith Lutheran Church. Second housekeeping item is that, uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago on our Vision Sunday, is that we as a congregation are going to be reading through the Bible together in 2021. And uh, I have a Bible for each and every one of you uh, with your name on it. Um, and it's wrapped up. Uh, our junior high students uh, wrap these up and they are outside uh, at Union Park uh, all day on Saturday and all day on Sunday. Uh, so if you're watching this message on Sunday morning, come on over uh, by Union Park today. They're outside on a table. Uh, pick up your Bible uh, for 2021 uh, for your family. And uh, if you've got friends or neighbors uh, and you want to drop theirs off, uh, that would be wonderful as well. Uh, with all that's going on with the quarantine these days, it's just a little bit trickier, uh, of course, uh, to be able to uh, pass out Bibles to the entire congregation. Uh, so to, to be clear, these Bibles are for all partners and friends of Faith Lutheran Church. And uh, we purchased a few extras. So if you uh, are watching online uh, and you don't regularly come uh, to Faith Lutheran Church, but you would like a Bible, uh, just hit me up uh, with an email saying, hey, Brian, I would love uh, a Bible. And uh, I will make sure uh, that we coordinate to get that uh, Bible into your hands. If you've got your Bibles uh, at home, I want to invite you to open to the Old Testament book of Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And uh, we're going to spend uh, the next few weeks uh, looking at a couple different Old Testament passages as we prepare our hearts and prepare our minds uh, for to celebrate uh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ coming into the world. Today is Advent 1, uh, which means, uh, Advent, of course, means beginning. And uh, we're celebrating uh, the beginning uh, of uh, Jesus Christ come into the world. And for the next uh, several weeks, we're just going to be preparing and listening and waiting and watching. And so uh, I would just want to invite you to, to tune in week after week as we spend some time uh, in the Old Testament. Today we're in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, let us pray. God, thank you for an opportunity uh, to, to serve you today, to, to read your word, uh, to be reminded, God, that you are good and faithful in our lives. God, as we prepare to open your word uh, and, and really reflect this morning, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I was thinking about it, and uh, we are T-minus 
33 days uh, until the end of 2020. That's kind of a crazy thought uh, that we are just 33 days away from ringing out 2020. Now, normally when we think of a new year, uh, we think about ringing in a, a new year, and we're certainly going to ring in 2021. Uh, but I think most of us, if we're honest, we're just happy to ring out 2020 because it's been a difficult year. You know, as I've looked uh, through um, different stories online and in magazines and in books, um, there's just been a lot of hardship and struggle in 2020. Uh, the other day, I ran across an article that said that uh, since the quarantine, there have been over 100 major uh, catastrophes going on around the world. Forest fires like we have not seen in a generation. Floods, famines, pestilence, disease, all sorts of hardship and struggle. This summer, I ran across a story, uh, and the, the story was entitled this, Locusts are a Plague of Biblical Proportion in 2020. Not just a lot of locusts showed up this year, but of biblical proportion. The world has not seen these locusts, these grasshopper-like animals, descend on a land uh, like they have on the Horn of Africa, Somalia, Kenya, Ethiopia, and just ravaged all the crops to the ground. You know, there's just, it's, it, it just keeps going and going. You know, we're still in hurricane season, and we've just gone through Hurricane Iota, uh, and we've, that, which is the ninth letter in the Greek alphabet, because we got through all the A to Z uh, hurricanes, so then we had to start over with the Greek alphabet. And, and, and what uh, weather folks are telling us is these storms, these floods, uh, have not been, we haven't seen anything like this in at least a generation or two. Truly interesting time. And now we've got these locusts descending that have descended on East Africa. And maybe you read a, a little bit about these murder hornets, uh, which all of a sudden showed up on our shores here in the United States this year. I mean, these hornets, okay, they're, 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 they're big, right? They're, they're really big. But uh, why in the world do they call them murder hornets? Well, they're kind of deadly, right? Um, they're a little bit dangerous. Um, and they're finally, or they've arrived on our shores. And, and the stories just keep going and going and going. Not to mention, of course, that uh, we've been in this pandemic uh, for about 10 months now, uh, an economic shutdown uh, like we haven't seen since the Great Depression, uh, hardship and struggle. People are, are more isolated uh, than ever before. It's, it's absolutely no wonder that depression and anxiety uh, and stress in people's lives is just uh, at all-time levels uh, in our country. 2020's been a tough year. It has been a really tough year. It seems like peace has been something very, very elusive in our nation, in our community, and in our entire world. You know, that's this whole idea of, of the stress and the struggle, that's really the context 
for our story today and what we learn about in the book of Numbers. Uh, so if you've got your, your Bibles, uh, we're in Numbers 6. And to kind of set it up for you a little bit, I want to remind you what's going on in the story just before uh, what, uh, we get to the passage that we're going to read today. God's people had been enslaved for a long, long time. Life had been incredibly difficult uh, for 400 years. And God's people, they just had no peace, and they longed uh, to experience God's peace in their life. In fact, they just longed for a little bit of relief from all the hardship of the world. And then finally one day, a guy rolls into town, a guy by the name of Moses. He looks at Pharaoh, the most powerful man in ancient times, with this directive from God, and he simply says, let my people go. And then after a series of miraculous events uh, that God uses Moses to prove to Pharaoh uh, that God is behind this message to let God's people, the Israelites, go, Pharaoh finally relents and he allows a little over two million people, God's Israelites, uh, to, to leave Egypt and to go out into uh, the, the wilderness on their way to the promised land what we know today as Israel. Now, if you were to travel uh, by foot um, from Egypt to Israel or the Promised Land today, it would take you about three weeks. But what we learn, and probably what you know, is it took the Israelites, God's people, more than three weeks to get to the Promised Land. It actually took them 40 years. And of course, we, ask, we have to ask the question, why did it take them so long? Why did it take them 40 years uh, to get to the promised land when it should have only taken them three weeks? And the simple answer is disobedience. The God's people, almost from the moment they stepped out of Egypt, the moment they were rescued and they're out in the wilderness, they start complaining. They start grumbling. They don't like the food. They don't like the accommodations. Uh, they don't like the scenery. Um, more than anything, what the Israelites don't like is they don't like the fact that they had things uh, pretty good back in Egypt, even though they were slaves. At least in Egypt, uh, things were familiar to them. At least in Egypt, they had enough food uh, to get by. At least in Egypt... They knew what was expected of them. But out in the wilderness, everything changed. And so over and over, throughout the story of, uh, of God's people wandering in the wilderness, they're complaining, they're moaning, they're groaning. And keep in mind, almost immediately after they went out into the wilderness, God gave the Israelites uh, the law, the Ten Commandments, His instructions for living. And when God's people, the Israelites, heard about this, at first they were like, this is great. But yeah, we don't think we want to do this. We think we would rather do something else. And the book of Numbers is really a story of 40 years chronicling the life of God's people, the Israelites, traveling through the wilderness, complaining and grumbling and moaning and groaning. And on the other hand, the book of Numbers is, God about, is about God being faithful 
and loving and patiently uh, going alongside his people. But make no mistake about it, 40 years in the wilderness was their punishment uh, for their disobedience and their lack of faith. And that's really what the story of uh, Numbers is all about. Now, when you hear the word Numbers, you think that's a very strange title uh, for uh, a book in the Bible uh, to which I would agree. Uh, I would, if I were writing of uh, the Bible, or if I was uh, asked to title this book, I would call it something more like "Lessons from Time Out." Uh, this is just what happens when you are disobedient to God. Um, but the, the in the Hebrew Bible, um, what the the title of the book actually is, is "In the Wilderness of Sinai." In the Wilderness of Sinai, and in the Hebrew language, that's just one word. Um, but it's called the book of Numbers because there's lots of census. There's lots of numbers in this book about uh, all of God's people and what they are up to as these people are traveling through the wilderness. And as they're beginning to make uh, the journey, uh, these, these 40 years, God looks at Moses and says, Moses, I want to declare to you my intentions. I want to explain to you my heart as you begin your journey in the wilderness. So we're going to pick up in number six, uh, beginning with verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, Aaron was Moses' brother, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. I think it's really interesting that God offers this prayer, this blessing to Moses and Aaron, which needs to be communicated to the people, not after they get through the wilderness on the tail end uh, and they, they get into the promised land and God says, okay, now I'm going to bless you. God offers this prayer of blessing, the Aaronic blessing that we sing and pray uh, nearly every Sunday when we gather together at the beginning of the journey, at the beginning when things are hard, at the beginning when things will continue to be difficult in the journey. And I think this is one of the greatest lessons for us about this idea, this concept of peace. Oftentimes we falsely think that I will have peace in here when there's peace out there. But there is no peace for God's people, and there would be no external peace for a good long time. But at the same time, God says, I am offering you peace, even in the midst of the external chaos, even in the midst of all the hardships, all the struggles that are going on out there. You know, I want to remind you um, that, yes, peace has been elusive in 2020. Peace in the world has felt very, very elusive. But let's be honest and let's really think about this. Peace, world peace, peace out there has always been elusive. War has always been a part of the story of humankind. Suffering has always been part of our testimony. 
hardship and struggle, broken relationships, financial struggles, disease. This is all the world has known since the Garden of Eden. When sin came into the world, this has been the story of humankind, that there has been no peace out there. And so at the same time, over and over, God offers us his peace. And so I just want to ask you this morning, if you don't have peace in your life because you're expecting there to be peace out there, what's missing in your life? This morning, I want to offer you what I'm just calling three keys to peace, three ways that I think we can experience God's peace in our life, even though there is no peace out there in the world. You might want to write these down uh, in the margin of your Bible. Number, number one is we can experience God's peace through pardon. We can experience God's peace through pardon, which of course means the forgiveness of our sin. See, all of humankind, all people know that there is something wrong with them. And we try all sorts of things, try all sorts of ways to experience God's peace in our lives. But God comes to us and says, the only way that you can truly experience my peace is through having your sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. It's coming to the end of ourselves and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to help me. I need you to rescue me. I need you to do something that I can't do myself. A couple weeks ago, I ran across a story. It's, it's a parable of sorts um, that I think kind of gets at this idea of what it means to experience God's peace through pardon. And I'm going to just call this parable the pit. It's a very simple story, and it goes something like this. There's a story of a man who fell into a pit, and he couldn't get out, and all sorts of people came along offering him solutions to his dilemma. A subjective person came along and said, I feel you down in that pit. An objective person came along and said, it's only logical that somebody would fall into that pit. A believer in Christian science uh, came along and said, you only think you're in that pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on the pit. A legalistic Christian said, you deserve the pit. Confucius said, if you would listen to me, you would not be in the pit. Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. Muhammad said, if you do these five things, you might just get out of the pit. A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata while in the pit. An evolutionist said that you are a rejected mutant destined to be removed from the evolutionary cycle. In other words, you're going to die in that pit so that you can't reproduce and create more pit-falling offspring. The county inspector asked if the man had a permit to dig in the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you see me in my pit. 
Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and pulled him out of the pit. Of course, the moral of the story is that all philosophies, all teachings, all angles of how we look at the pit are really just ideas and concepts. But at the end of the day, the only one who can truly rescue us from the pit is Jesus Christ. All of us as human beings are in a pit. And this is why we celebrate Christmas time. God came into the world. He incarnated himself. He came into the world, looked at all the people on the planet and said, I have come with a rescue plan to do something that none of you can do for yourselves. And God reached down and came into the world. 33 years later, as Jesus hung on a cross, God's rescue plan was complete to take us out of the pit. And so today, as you think about yourself in the pit of your sin, I want you to imagine Christ reaching down and offering you to pull you out of the pit. It's that simple. And of course, each of us has a choice. We can sit in the pit and say, I'm good, I'm fine, I'll figure this out myself. Or we can just allow Jesus to pull us out of the pit. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no peace without the rescue of Jesus and the pardon of Jesus in our lives. Number two, the second key or the second way I think we can experience uh, God's peace in our life is through practicing the presence of Christ. Practicing the presence of Christ. You know, what I love about the Aaronic blessing is there's this intimate uh, imagery that God gives Moses and Aaron. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. It's this idea that we are face to face with God. There's this connection. There's this closeness. It's the very presence of God. Uh, in our lives. You know, one of the mistakes I've uh, seen through the years is that people oftentimes confuse the teachings of Jesus, the doctrine of Jesus, uh, the theology of Jesus with the presence of Jesus. And they're two very different things. Let me give you an example. Uh, many years ago, uh, when I was in seminary, uh, I had some extraordinary professors uh, who taught me what it meant and, and means uh, to be in the presence of Jesus. But I also had a, a couple professors um, who just didn't understand this idea at all. They were academics. Uh, they were very smart people. And, and I'll never forget uh, one particular professor that I had. He was brilliant 
absolutely brilliant. And I've, I've shared this story before with some of you, uh, but I just think it's such an interesting story. Uh, and this particular professor, uh, he was so smart, he was so brilliant, uh, he would always show up to class with one book. There were no textbooks, just one book. Uh, which is the Greek New Testament. And he would pull out the Greek New Testament to whatever page uh, he was teaching on that day. And he would start teaching us about uh, Greek, the Greek language. And he could take one little Greek word and he could just uh, take, uh, divide that word and explain that word to us uh, in incredible linguistic details, and he could conjugate it, and, and he would uh, explain over and over, uh, frankly, ad nauseum. And then he would go off and tell us stories about Greek literature, uh, maybe a story from Homer's Odyssey, and about how that one little word from Scripture tied into the culture of, uh, of, of the Greek culture of the day. And he would go on and on and on. And I don't remember, uh, to be honest with you, a lot of the details uh, of his teachings uh, from the Greek New Testament. But what I do remember is it was a very stressful class to be in. Because every time uh, you'd get into class, the professor would come into class, he put his Greek New Testament on the table, uh, he always showed up in a tie. He always showed up with his hair um, combed. He always showed up with his shirt tucked in. Uh, he always showed up very proper and very professorial, uh, as you might imagine. But then as he began to teach, he would wring his fingers through his hair. He would unpull his, he would pull his tie, and his shirt became disheveled. And, and over the course of 45 minutes or an hour or so, it was like a tornado was going through our classroom. And by the end, he had hair like Albert Einstein and his eyes were big and gangly. And, and it was just this, and he was just stressed out of his mind as he was deconstructing, as he was teaching uh, the, the Bible, the, the New Testament to us. And I'll never forget the day. I raised my hand. I mean, I was just stressed out and kind of freaked out every time I went to class. And I'll never forget the day that I raised my hand and I said, Professor Fredrickson, where do you go to church? Where do you gather together with the body of Christ to worship this Jesus that you teach of? Clearly, nobody had ever asked him that question before. He kind of recoiled a little bit. He looked a little bit puzzled. He was definitely taken back. And then he went immediately on the offense. He said, I don't have time to go to church. I don't belong to a church. I'm too busy traveling around the country teaching the New Testament. My purpose, my role is to teach. This professor was the poster child of someone who knew so much far more than you and me about the Bible, about the Christian faith, about Christian doctrine, about Christian theology. He had it all up here. But he had no peace in his heart. He didn't practice the presence of Christ. And I think that's what we really need to be about if we want to experience in our lives. Reading scripture is important. 
But we need to practice that presence of just sitting with Jesus and being in relationship with him. Paul writes this in Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Let the peace of Christ reign in your head for sure. But we also need to let the peace of Christ reign in our hearts. Key number three, I think, uh, to experience uh, the peace of God in our lives is to obey his principles. Obey his principles. It's, it really is about being obedient to God's word. You know, a little while ago, we talked about why did the Israelites wander around in the wilderness? They had the law. They had the commandments. Uh, they had God's instructions for living. And they said, we're good. We're, we'll just do this on our own. They had all the tools that they needed to serve and worship and follow after God on a three-week journey. And they said, no, we're going to do it ourselves. They were simply disobedient. And I think for you and me, I see disobedience happening in a couple different ways. Um, sometimes uh, people will read scripture and they'll be just like, yeah, I don't like that. I disagree with that, so I'm just not going to follow that. Uh, people uh, will, will, even in a Bible study or uh, in their own reading, uh, will see something and just like, oh, that's offensive. I just don't like that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow God's word. But more often than not, what I hear people being about people being disobedient or when I hear stories of people's disobedience, it's not so much because they've read God's word and said, I'm good. Most often, people are disobedient to God because they simply don't know God's word. They don't read God's word. They don't study God's word. They're just, they're just, they're just ignorant of God's word. And I know, I get it, many people today think, well, that's what we do on Sunday at church, is, is we read God's word, and we let the professionals tell us about God's word. And, and that's good, right? There's a place for that. But the thing about Scripture is that just reading God's word on Sunday morning, it's not enough. A couple days ago, uh, most of us uh, had a big old Thanksgiving meal. We ate so much, at least I did, uh, that I was so full that I didn't even eat dessert uh, after uh, the Thanksgiving meal. Now, a couple hours later, uh, I found the dessert and I was just fine. Uh, Saturday, uh, the day after, uh, on Friday, uh, I woke up. I didn't think to myself, well, I had Thanksgiving yesterday. I'm not going to eat today. Oh, no. I went into the kitchen, I went into the fridge, and I made myself a turkey sandwich with some leftovers. And then again on Saturday, I ate again. And guess what? Probably today on Sunday, I'm going to eat again, and I'll eat again on Monday. And we eat every single day. Why do we do that? Why do we eat every single day? Of course, the obvious answer is because we need food to keep us strong and healthy for our bodies. And in the same way, 
We cannot feast on God's word just one day a week and think that it's enough. So many people are starving spiritually. And they can't understand why they don't have God's peace in their soul. And their Bible just sits on the shelf gathering dust. And as we've talked about uh, for a couple weeks now, I know, I understand, reading Scripture, uh, it's a bit of work. It's a bit intimidating. And that's why in 2021, we're going to read God's Word together as a congregation. And that's why each one of you has a Bible uh, with your name on it and an invitation to read through God's entire Word. See, I don't think most of you uh, are disobedient to God's Word uh, because you don't like it. Um, I think most of us are just ignorant of what is in God's Word. And so that's how we're going to spend 2021 is reading. Just 15 minutes a day, uh, you and I are going to get through the entire Bible in 15 minutes a day of reading together. This is what James, uh, the brother of Jesus, said about what it means to obey the principles of God's word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James is promising us that when we read and study God's word, and then we actually strive to be obedient to it, then we can experience God's peace. Now, I want to be clear. We don't follow God's word uh, to earn favor with God. God loves us either way. God uh, rescues us either way. Remember, this is what God did uh, with the Israelites. First rescue, then gave them the word. God has rescued you. And if you have received his hand to help you out of the pit, your salvation is secure. But God has given you a book for how you are to live your life so that you can experience his peace. And if we want to experience God's peace in our lives, we have to strive, we have to try to be obedient to his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God um, who loves us so much You came into the world, that you reached down and you rescued us and you invite us into a relationship with you. And that, God, you come to us and you invite us in spite of the chaos and the tumult of the world, and you still invite us to experience peace. And so, God, I pray that you would help each one of us to experience your presence of peace in our lives. We thank you, God, for your word, which comes to us and meets us. God, help us to live obedient to your word and to try and um, live out your word with one another as we serve in the world. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who comes into the world, especially as we are mindful at this Christmas season, that you come and you love us and care for us. 
you prepared to die for a cross for us each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.